I shared this morning first service. Oh, sorry. Good morning. Uh, just jump right into it, Rex. Um, I, I shared this morning first service that there's there's nothing like worship, uh, coming together and worshiping an Almighty God, and and um, I, I tell you. You get very choked up very quick and, and realizing and being humbled what it means to, to gather and worship an almighty God. And um, We'll get into it. We'll get into the word here. And I, I just want to make a, a quick plug for something that's coming up. You know, often as we pray, we pray for those that have gone through loss, those that are hurting, those that are sick. Can I tell you that we need to give praise to, um, I was, I had to write down, it's like, uh, all the young couples in our church that have had babies in the last month, there's like four, two more on the way, and maybe a third, and it's like, I'm losing track, it's like, praise God, you know, and sometimes we're like, we need to pray for that, we need to, that. We need to praise too, there's, there's great things that are happening, I'm very thankful for that. Uh, there's an event actually coming up this coming Saturday here at the church. I know FCA is sponsoring it, and it sounds like, well, it's for coaches only. It's for parents. It's for educators. It's for anybody that works with kids. And, and really, it's like, how do you help the kids that have gone through so much over COVID that have maybe been isolated and, and have struggling right now? And, and um, how, do you, how do you work with youth in and, and, and today's world? And you're all invited. Okay? I know there's a $5 thing on there. I'm waving it for anybody from this church. Just email me, call me, text me, say I want to come. Um, Bruce Bogusky is our speaker. He's fantastic. He is worth thousands. We put a $5 price tag on there just to make people commit. Um, but really, I, I want to invite you to come and, and hear Bruce. He will do a fantastic job. And if you're a parent, um, you will not be disappointed. So there's my shameful plug, uh, thrown out the announcement. But when I think about the youth... Especially in our church growing, it's like, what can we do to continue to reach out to the young people in our, in our church and in this community and their surrounding communities? Well, um, I don't know if you've noticed, and I'm not going to talk about the, the, a game that's going on tonight. I'm not going to go there, okay? Um, but I am going to mention the Olympics real quick. And some of you are like, oh, I like the Olympics. And you're like, I don't want to talk about the Olympics. And a lot of people are all over the place. But here's the thing. There are some amazing stories of humanity and in competition and discovering the, the perseverance and the commitment of these people who, who compete and the sacrifice they make. And uh, so I always love hearing the stories. And one of those stories has to deal with speed skaters. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched the short track speed skating, but these Olympia, I mean, it's, it's not like NASCAR, like I'm just waiting for somebody to wipe out, okay? Um, there's, there's so much intensity as they go around in this short distance. And um, but before they start, what amazes me, they, they get on the line and they're getting ready to go. And I watched this take place this past week. Right before they're getting ready to go, one, one of them accidentally moves and jumps, so it's a false start. That's a warning. Everybody gets back on the line again. And they get ready to go. But this time, a second person, not the same one, a different person, jumped. And it's like, oh, that's the second false start. You're disqualified. Which, to me, didn't seem fair. I mean, it's like... That other guy did it the first time. I This was my first time. So, no, sorry, no second chance. And I'm sitting there thinking how hard it is for that athlete who prepared and worked hard for four years and then, oops, I moved just a hair too soon. You're done. How about a second chance, right? A young lady by the name of uh, Michaela Schifrin of the United States, she lost her father uh, two years ago on February 3rd. I don't know if you heard about that. But February 4th this year was the opening ceremonies, and and everybody was encouraging her, you lost your your dad, your photographer, 
somebody who really was close to you, but we, you were one of the best. She, she has 73 World Cup victories, three-time World Cup champion. She's considered the best alpine skier out there. They said, you need to ski. So she went this year to ski. And on her first run, within seconds, she fell. And it was just unfortunate, right? The next day, she's in her second event. She gets just a few seconds further than she was the day before, and she fell a second time. Disqualified a second time. So two events, two disqualifications. And you just, you, you sit here, and she sat there on that slope for the longest time, and you just your heart breaks for her, and it's like, how about a second chance? Just give her a second chance, right? How many times in life have we made mistakes? Maybe it, maybe it was something really personal in life. Maybe it was just you're playing games with some of your friends, your brothers, your sisters, siblings, whoever it might be. Maybe it was out on the golf course, and you're like, oh, how about a do-over? <laughs> how about a second chance? You know, we all like do-overs, right? Well, unfortunately, these athletes didn't get that do-over, but we're going to learn about that today about second chances. Open up your Bibles to the book of Jonah. In the book of Jonah, we've been talking about, this is a story of mercy, and there's multiple stories in there. But in this chapter today, Jonah chapter 3, we're going to discover two stories of second chances. The first one belongs to the people of Nineveh. These, these people, they are not God's people. They, there's a disbelief. They don't worship the God that Jonah worships. They, they have their own idols that they worship. They're going to be led to destruction. But God says, I'm giving you all a second chance. Then you have one who is of faith. That's Jonah. And Jonah is, as we know, he's going to get a second chance. Remember, he had a false start. <laughs> Went in the wrong direction. And he was disqualified from God's service. That's what we would say. But God said, I'm going to give you a do-over. I'm going to give you a second chance. And so Jonah, as we remember, he's in the belly of a fish. He prays. And as he prays, remember, it's not about escaping the belly of a fish. A lot of us, like, we, we pray our ways out of bad moments. I've got a bad situation. I need to escape this. I'm going to get on my knees and pray. He was, we don't know. Curled up in the belly. We don't know, but he prayed not to escape the fish. He prayed for salvation. as we talked about last week. He had no idea that he would be saved from the fish. Because again, in his idea, what if I am saved? What, am I going to be spit into the water? And I don't know how to swim. I'm just going to drown. So it wasn't about being released or being taxied to a shore. It was about salvation. He had this in mind. I need to get it right with God. So he prayed. And he got it right with God. He, and here's the thing about what he did and what he did not do. I enjoy watching movies. Um, uh, if I find a good movie, I might watch it multiple times, not in whole settings, but oh, I'll watch a little clip here and there. But as I watch movies, sometimes there's a scene, there's a, there's a quote, and it hits me. It's like, oh, that relates to me spiritually this way. I'm, so I'm sort of a bad guy to watch movies with because I might lean over and say, hey, that's sort of like when God says, and like, just quiet, right? So I'm watching the movie, uh, The Patriot, Mel Gibson's The Patriot, and it's one of my favorites. And there's a scene where Charlotte uh, says to him, goes, you've done nothing for which you should be ashamed of. And Benjamin Martin, played by Mel Gibson, turns and says, I have done nothing, and for that I am ashamed. And I'm thinking, oh, that's a spiritual nugget right there, right? Because here's the thing. Sometimes we're so shameful of the things we've done. We're so uh, apologetic for the sins that we've committed. But what about the things we have not done that we know we were supposed to do? Jonah knew. You know, he was 
going in the wrong direction, right? He had made a mistake, but what a, he also did not go to Nineveh. That's what he was called to do. He disobeyed. And for that, he should have been ashamed. God saved Jonah. He gave them the opportunity to do that which he had not yet done in obedience to God. So in your Bibles, in Jonah chapter 3, we'll start in verse 1. We'll read together because we're going to read how God shows mercy. He forgives Jonah. He's going to give him a second chance as well as the people of Nineveh. Verse 1 says this. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. And on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast. And they put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on heaps of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning. And I had to pause and not picture a cow wearing a burlap sack, right? People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning. And everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Now as we read here, we see the Lord gave Jonah a second chance. He came to him a second time. And we've seen this before in God's word. It comes to Abraham, comes to Moses, comes to Joseph, uh, even one of the greatest disciples, Peter. You've messed up, you've disobeyed. I'm coming back to you because I've got something that you're supposed to do. I'm giving you a second chance. And God tells Jonah, as we read here back in, in this verse, he goes, he goes, arise, get up. Now, this is the third time Jonah's heard this same word used. The first time God said, get up. And then the captain of the ship said, get up. And now God says again, get up. So about this time, you think he's sort of getting it. So he does, he does get up and he says, this is where you're going to go. To Nineveh, a great city. How big is this city? I mean, it's called great, right? Took three days for him to get around. We don't know why it took three days. Did he stop and talk to people? Was there special uh, dignitary type things that he did as a prophet to come in where he got presented? We don't know. We do know this. Uh, Today, archaeologists have found the ruins of of Nineveh, and they outlined it, and it was a great city. We know in chapter 4, it says that there were 120,000 people that he went to. So when you look at this and say, that's that's pretty big, right? So we got an idea of, he's up, he's going into this big city, what is he going to say? Check out the message. It is so short. It is so sweet, right? He says this, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's it. If you ever read other books of the prophets, it seems like the messages are a lot longer, a lot deeper, and a lot harsher, right? Here, it's like 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That seems too short. Seems way too simple. But isn't that the gospel? God loves you. Sin separates you from God. 
Jesus Christ died for you. Do you believe it? That's the gospel. Seems short, seems simple. Charles Hayden Spurgeon, he's one of the greatest preachers who ever lived. Um, and he was saved by such a message. Oftentimes you'll hear me quote Spurgeon or you'll hear other people quote him. Um, here's how he came to know the Lord. This is the way it worked. He was a little boy at the time. He was at this very small Methodist church. And he was sitting there in the back underneath the balcony listening to this person who was filling the pulpit that day. That day, filling the pulpit was not the normal pastor. It was somebody else. It was a gentleman who he could barely read and write. Very uneducated. But he got up that day. He was the one that was going to deliver the message. His text was this. Look unto me and be ye saved. That was it. His words from Jesus Christ. Look unto me and be ye saved. Now he stuck to it and this was part of his message. He said this. My dear friends, this is a simple text indeed. Look. Now, now looking don't take a deal of pain. It ain't lifting your finger or lifting your foot. It's just look. A learned man don't have to go to college to learn how to look. You may be the biggest fool, yet you can look. A man needn't be worth $1,000 a year to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But the text says, look unto me. Ah, many of you are looking to yourselves. And it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Look to Christ. The text says, look to me. And about 10 minutes more, that same preaching went on. Very simple. Very, you look, just look unto me. And that young Spurgeon, he was just sitting back underneath the balcony, fixing his eyes on that guy as he was preaching. And about that time, and you guys know this about me, I've, I've never stood up here and like point out like, Joel, God is saying to you. I've never done that, have I? No, not yet. Um, but, in, but I've never done it. But there's been times after church, people said, I felt like you were talking to me. No, I wasn't. God was. The Holy, that's the way the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit does the speaking, right? I stand up here, I give the words, but boy, God does the speaking. And the pastor should never take credit for that. And the man, however, at the pulpit that day, he looked right at Charles Spurgeon. He said, he goes, you, young man, look very miserable. And you will always be miserable, miserable in life, miserable in death, if you do not obey the text. But if you obey now, the moment, this moment, you will be saved, young man. Look, 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 look unto Jesus. And Charles Spurgeon did. In that moment, he prayed and looked to Jesus. And that's how he came to know the Lord and was converted. Such a simple message. Look unto him. That was it. The message to the Ninevites, it seems so simple, right? When you look at that text, 40 days from now, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. What does that mean? It meant something to them. They must have known about this God of Jonah. They know what kind of God he was, how, how mighty he was, how powerful he was. Destruction. Well, they've heard about stories before, right? They believed Jonah. Everyone, it says, from great to small, educated, uneducated, and uneducated, male, female, everybody. didn't matter who you were. They were believing. And before the news even reached the king, it says that these people, you look at the scripture, it says, they took off their, their best clothes. They put on sackcloth. They sat in ashes. They mourned. That's a sign of mourning. It's like, I, I, I'm in mourning right now. I'm, 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 I can't believe what's going on. And they were putting themselves in mourning. And they're like, we're going to declare a fast. Everybody stop eating. And it's like, you know, we can be very judgmental and look in here and say, did they really do all that? I mean, were they really converting to, to faith in God? Were they really 
relenting of themselves and repenting. And we can be very judgmental, but let's ask that question of ourselves. How repentful are we at times? How sorrowful are we to God? How many Christians today, when they hear the voice of God, they repent. They're like, oh, you know, and I'm, I'm going to go sit in ashes and I'm not going to eat for a couple of days. A lot of us are like, man, man, God was speaking to me. And then five minutes later, they're out doing whatever they want to do. So we can be very judgmental of how people react to the call of God. And we look at what's going on with these people. It looks like something's happening. It says, when the king heard the news, he did three things. Did you see what he did? He stepped down from his throne. He took off his royal robes and he made this, this incredible declaration. That's submission. That is huge. For a king to step off his throne, to take off the royal robes, he's admitting he's not in charge. The declaration, let's read that declaration again. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning. Everyone must pray earnestly to God that they must turn from their evil ways and stop their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. So the message is delivered, and it appears that everyone repents. And God shows mercy. Look at verse 10. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Jonah's job was to deliver the message. Check. Mission accomplished. Now, is Jonah responsible to change their mind and change their hearts? No. No. Is their state of eternal judgment resting upon Jonah? No. He is obedient this time in sharing the message. God's going to do the rest. God will do the rest. And he did. It's like the Apostle Paul, he claims in his letter to Timothy. He said this. Again, I say, don't get involved in ignorant arguments about that only starts fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach, be patient with difficult people, and gently instruct those who oppose the truth. He goes on to say, perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to his senses and escape the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Repentance. That's the work of God. Our holy God, who cannot have sin in his presence, is a just and fair God, so sin must be punished. But he's also God who says what? I love the lost. I want them to repent. I don't want anyone to perish. I want them to get it right with me. So God examined their lives. It says God saw. God examines. He observes change, I believe, in, in the hearts and actions of these people. So he shows them mercy. Do they deserve destruction? Yes. I mean, this is the way it all started in the first place, right? But they must have stopped sinning and got it right with God because now, guess what? He's no longer going to punish them. Theologians will discuss this one for days, maybe weeks, maybe years. Uh, we don't have a full record of, of how they change. And it's like, well, was it legit or not? You know, and, and do they deserve and, and God? And it's like, let, let's get something very clear here. We know that social reform, change behavior, Good church attendance and being kind to others does not save you. 
does not get you into heaven. That's very clear in God's word. It is our faith in Jesus Christ that saves us. In the Old Testament, they would sacrifice something for the sins of the people. In the New Testament, there was one final ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God, who came and took away our sins by his incredible sacrifice. Our salvation is through Jesus Christ. But here, God says, I'm going to choose mercy and show that I'm not going to judge you, but I'm going to spare you. Is it that God changed his mind? He said, well, God, the, the scripture says God changed his mind. Well, let's go and let's check that word out because it's been translated multiple ways. One of them is, instead of changes, is to have compassion, to have pity on or to relent. So maybe God saw something. He's like, hmm, I'm now having compassion for you. Was it the heart of the people that changed? It appears their hearts did change, so judgment changed. Does that seem fair to us? I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's like, it's sort of funny that I ask that question because who are we to proclaim that position of power? Who are we to judge and say, I think that was fair? I don't think that was fair. I don't think any of us in this room or anywhere are qualified to do what God does. Not one of us. I'm sitting there thinking about like this. When, when, take the moment when Jesus is on the cross. you got two thieves on both sides of him. As they are there, they're ridiculing him, right? They are destined for hell, right? And then one of them's like, remember me today. Yeah, I mean, it's like he, he, he turns to Jesus and he's like realizing this is the Son of God. And what does Jesus say? Today you'll be with me in paradise. It's like a deathbed confession, right? And we think, oh, that's not fair. Who are we to declare what is fair or not fair? That's his right. He is God, right? And maybe this is a good time to maybe pause and ask some tough questions about God because when you get into this chapter and you're looking at the, the heart of the people and why does God change his mind, it's like, what, what was the message and why did they want to change their mind? And, and it, oh, wait, is God, is God a loving God? I mean, first of all, he was going to destroy them. So is God a loving God? And then, oh, wait, wait, and then... He spares them. He shows them mercy. That's like, well, wait, wait. Is God a just God? Is, is he a just God? Now listen, we know the Bible is full of truth. And it is immense and it is beyond our understanding. As mere men, we try to interpret and preach what we can, knowing what we know, knowing that we are still not wise enough to nail it all down. We just can't. I humbly stand before you today and say, I don't know it all. I never will because it is so much and is way beyond my understanding, but I will do all my power that I can to share with you what I believe God wants you to hear. And when we see the phrase that God changes his mind, we need to remember that we are using human language placed upon an all-knowing and all-powerful God. So I'm using human language to describe something that's not even human. And that is difficult. When you look in the book of Isaiah, here's something that might, that might help, that really helped me. I was looking at Isaiah, and, and look how this is worded. It says in chapter 55, starting in verse 6, Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he's near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. It sort of sounds like what was going on in Nineveh, right? Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. 
Well, that doesn't make sense. Wait, read the very next verse. The very next verse is, well, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Church, we can't even fathom the mind of God. We can't. Even if God does change his mind, who are we to say, hey, God, you can't change your mind? (laughs) Really? You're going to call him on that? Good luck. We try to humanize God using our, our emotion and our logic, trying to say, this is what God's like. Again, we can't. It doesn't work. The more I study, the more I realize I have probably misinterpreted at times. I have, I have probably used that scripture in the wrong way, out of context. If I go back to my first time 30 years ago, 33 years ago, when I did maybe my first sermon or my first message to a youth group, if I were to go back and look at the transcripts, I would probably be embarrassed. Thinking, I said that? That's not what that means. I know it now. Something with age helps, I think, I guess. But as I'm looking at, for instance, here's a scripture from 2 Chronicles. You've all heard this scripture. I'm going to tell you right now, we've probably all used it out of context. I'm seeing it used out of context constantly. It's this, then if, pe- then if my people who are called by my name, is this sounding familiar, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. He will forgive their sins and restore their land. It is a beautiful verse, and it was a beautiful message for the people at that time. But we use it today because there's a pandemic. We need to humble ourselves. Listen, church, let me listen very carefully. Should we humble ourselves? Should we pray? Should we seek God in turn? Yes, 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 yes. Yes, we should. But what if God doesn't respond? Is he still your God? See, we've got this mentality. It's like I put the coin in the box and I push the button and something should come out. Hey, God, if I humble myself and I pray and I seek and I turn, click, 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 what you going to give me? That's wrong. But that's what we do today. We post, hey, we all need to do this so that God will. Again, as if we can control God. We can't. In the story of the prodigal son, when that young man realized he'd, he'd wandered off from his dad, he'd spent everything, he's now eating with the pigs, he goes, he came to his senses. If I go back to my father and I tell him I'm sorry and repent, he will at least allow me to be his servant. He never said, I'm back in the house, right? Because he's like, if, if, I, if I just repent, at least I could be his servant, right? And what he found out is when he went back to his father and repented, what did the father do? The father not only said, you can be on my proper property, not only can you be his servant, you are coming back into the house because you are my son. See, God always gives us more than what we deserve. That's mercy. That's God. And we, we don't fully understand it. And so I'm looking at the Ninevites, and I'm sitting there thinking, did the Ninevites think maybe we can change God's mind? Maybe, you know, like, we can do something and persuade God. Like, God, look what we're doing. Wink, wink. See how good we are? How about you not destroy us, right? Maybe we can get him to change his mind. And, and then again, as, as a human being, here's the thing. We want to, we, do we really want God to change his mind? Like, God, I want you to be less holy. I want you to be less just and just overlook my sins. He can't because he's God. He cannot become somebody who he is not. And for him to overlook our sins, that does not make him a just God or a holy God. 
Now, of course, we want a loving God. I mean, we all want a loving God. I mean, that's like, we hear that preached day and night, right? It's like, this, that's all we hear preach is all about God is a loving God. We don't want to hear about the just God, the holy God, the punishing God. We want a loving God. Matter of fact, Noah's Ark. Think about Noah's Ark. If you go into any, like, maybe church nursery and they have a mural on their wall of Noah's Ark, you probably see the, the nice, well-built Ark. And Noah's, you know, you see the animals, the giraffe, and the elephants are sticking their heads out the windows. And, and you've got Noah standing there with a big smile on his face. He looks like Santa Claus. And he's got a dove on his shoulder. And it's like, oh, God is good, Right? How come nobody ever paints the pictures of all the people drowning underneath and screaming? That's a big part of the story. We talk about Moses. We are free. Nobody talks about the firstborn that were killed. The Bible makes it clear. God will judge. God is also loving. He is just and he is loving. And they're both and then, like I said, sometimes, well, how do I, I'm having a hard time. I mean, because I, I hear people all the time say, I cannot believe in a loving God who sends people to hell. I just can't. Some people don't even believe that hell exists. When's the last time you heard me preach on hell? Well, it's happening right now. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, it says this, Then the devil had deceived them. And he was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophets, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. Verse 11 says, And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name is not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Church, listen, those who do not place their faith in Jesus Christ will join Satan and his team in hell. That's judgment. That's judgment. Listen, that's being fair. You want a fair God? There it is. He is a loving God, but he is a just God. Again, some of us refuse uh, to believe that, but it's written right there. I just showed it to you, right? And I mean, how do we deal with that? How do you explain that away? Why, why would we explain that away? A just God must show discipline. I may not like it. You may not like it. I, I may disagree with some things in the Bible. But because he is still God, I'm under his authority and what he says rules. And this is what he says. Church, his ways are higher than my ways and your ways. His thoughts are beyond my thoughts and your thoughts. He is a sovereign, righteous, creator God to do whatever he wants to do. And a righteous God cannot ignore crime, cannot ignore rebellion, because he is a fair God. A fair, righteous, and just God must punishment. Punish it. And that makes sense. You know what doesn't make sense? Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his love. In while that we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That doesn't make sense to me. The love of a God who looks down on us, who are sinning, will continue to sin. And he says, you deserve hell. But I'm going to give you my son. I will sacrifice my son 
for you who are sinning. That doesn't make sense to me because I know I wouldn't do that. Sorry, love y'all. I would never sacrifice my sons for you. Won't do it. I love you, but my love goes this far. Okay? The love of God is incredible. Some people want to talk about, I don't want to talk about hell because it's negative. It's so painful. We, we live in this time of inclusion and entitlement where, where what? Everybody gets a trophy. Nobody gets cut. All people go to heaven. But that's not true. And that's why we need to address it. I mean, does the Bible talk a lot about hell? Yes. Does it go into elaborate descriptions and giving all these fine details? Not really. But there's enough in there to know, like, this is legit. Jesus talks about it. He actually uses the word hell 12 times. And then other times he says eternal destruction, eternal fire. He he uses other lingo instead. Matter of fact, in uh, the book of Luke chapter 8, when he met that that, that man from Gerasenes and the guy was uh, possessed by demons. And remember he came out of the tombs and he's all chained up and he comes running naked to Jesus. And Jesus goes to cast the demons out of him. And what do the demons do? The demons say this. The demons kept begging Jesus, don't send us into the bottomless pit. Send us off into those pigs. They didn't want to go to hell yet. And Jesus said, all right, you will someday, but for now, boom, to the pigs. Second Thessalonians, Paul, you're like, well, Paul, Paul writes a lot of books. I don't remember him mentioning the word hell. No, but he does talk about eternal destruction and eternal fire. Second Thessalonians chapter one, he says this, he will come with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction. Forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. And here's the thing. When you read through the Bible, it wasn't used to scare people into heaven. That's not the purpose of talking about hell. I just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about it right now to scare you all to make a decision. That's, no, no, no. A lot of times it was used to talk to the religious people. Oftentimes when Jesus, he was in a discussion with religious people. It's sort of a wake-up call. Like if you think your salvation is coming by good works and all that, no, it's through faith in Christ alone. And, and if you don't have faith in Christ, there is the other altar, right? Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus said this, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Uh, talk about fearing God. I often hear the question, how can a loving God send people to hell? You know, that's a loaded question, by the way. And you need to talk to that person. There's, there's another reason behind why they're probably asking that question. But here's the thing. The, the better question should be this. Does a loving God allow people who reject the gospel of a loving God to go to a place of punishment in which they are actually choosing? Then the answer to that is yes. God allows it. God allows it. You know, it's, it's hard to talk to people about hell today because, because we've, we've grown up with a loss of authority and discipline. We look around now a lot of authority figures and we, we don't respect authority like we used to. And we don't want discipline like we used to. I remember a belt. I remember a paddle. And some of you kids like, I don't know what that is. I know what timeout is. I know how to count to three. And my mom's counted to three 20 times once. I think that was actually 60. 
It's like, did you listen the first time? No, that's why she kept counting. It's like, oh, I see that really worked. It didn't, right? And, and, but today, we, we don't want authority. We don't want discipline. So when you talk about a holy and just God and loving God who says, I am the authority and there is punishment, we're like, don't want to talk about it. I don't need to adhere to that, right? It's so funny. I was thinking about this. I remember growing up, if I didn't show up to football practice, I got a phone call from the coach. My parents got a phone call from the coach. I was in trouble with my parents and the coach. Today, the coach calls, hey, your son wasn't here. Well, there's a reason he wasn't there. Explicitive, explicitive. My son doesn't like you. He's not getting enough playing time. I don't blame him for not showing up. It's like, okay, bye. Right? Times have changed. And maybe we don't see the authority the way we need to. And I, I just, I think about that. And here's the thing. We are talking about a God who is authority. And there are consequences for not following his authority. And so it's sort of easy to understand why that often gets rejected. So, and, and here's the thing. There's, there's so much to say in so little time. But I, let's go back to the very beginning here. God gave Jonah and these people a second chance. And the message that came must have been powerful enough to scare them, to open their eyes, to realize we need to do something. We need to do something. The judgment is real. And here's the thing. If I don't talk about hell, then you won't understand mercy. If we don't understand what we've been saved from, we will not have gratitude to a holy God who is merciful and full of grace. When we realize how ugly it is and what we've been saved from, then we can look to God and say, wow, he is full of mercy. Thank you, God. You are full of grace. Thank you, God. Thank you for giving me a second chance, third chance, fourth chance, 100 chances. Thank you, God. Right? Worship team, would you come forward, please? When I, when I think about this, it's like, what, what do we learn from this? I, I don't know. I pray God puts something in your ear this morning and on your heart. But I understand this, is that we all, do not deserve second chances, but he gives us a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. If God has given you these extra chances, these do-overs, do not mess it up. Pursue him. Pursue him. None of us would be where we are now in our faith if God had not dealt with us. Oh, the greatness of the mercy of God. We deserves severe judgment, yet he saves us from it. And we receive everything from him. And sometimes we, we foolishly turn from it. Praise God for his mercy and grace. That's, that's one thing this morning. Here's, here's the other thing I would say this is that, let's remember this. God's ways and God's thoughts are way beyond our ways, way beyond our thoughts. Why, why keep Jonah a disqualified prophet on the team? Why give this, this city 40 days to repent? Why show mercy? Why? Because he is God. And he's above and beyond our thoughts and understanding. We say, well, I sort of understand God. Let me remind you this. There's a galaxy between us and God's thoughts. There is. It's like there's a little toddler and there's a seasoned professor. And there's, there's a big gap of understanding in between. Now multiply that by a gazillion and we've got our thoughts and God's thoughts. We don't fully understand him. That's why it's just so important to trust him. Just to trust him. Would you stand, please? We're all like Jonah in one way or another. We've, we've all run from God in one way or another. 
but no one needs to perish. He's giving you another chance. Thank Him for His mercy. Thank Him for His grace. Give Him thanks. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God You are. Thank You, God, for Your mercy. God, I know when we, we feel like we just sort of scratch the surface on eternal destruction. And that's not to scare anybody here. That's just reality. This is what it is. And when we understand reality, then we realize how fortunate we are to have your grace and your mercy given to us. We don't deserve it. You give it. You demonstrated your love for us that while we were still sinners, your son, Jesus Christ, died for us. That's amazing. Truly amazing. God, thank you for giving us another chance. Right now where we're at, God, maybe we just need to pray, God, I am sorry. Maybe this morning we're like the people of Nineveh. We've come to a realization. You know what? Destruction is right around the corner. I need to get it right. Let's get it right. Because you are a loving and just God. You don't want anybody to be eternally destroyed and separated from you. You want everybody in your presence. That's your love. But your justice says there's a price. So God, we humbly come to you now and we do seek your face. We do repent of our sins and we turn from our wickedness and we ask God to forgive us. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Help us to live in a way that honors you. Help us to share the good news about who you are as God. God, we want to sing to you now. And God, as we sing these songs, may your spirit continue to speak to us. In thy name we pray. Amen. Amen.